You're listening to the Homegrown Faith Podcast. I'm Joe Clark, and I'm chatting with my fellow pastor and friend, Richard Sweatman, about God, the Bible, and life lived growing our faith in Jesus. This podcast is coming to you from Hunter Bible Church in Newcastle. Hey there, Joe. Hi, Richard. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing today? I am well. I'm well. I've been thinking about Christmas food, of course. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about choosing the best mango. Oh, that's and, an interesting topic. Well, I actually picked a bad mango the other day. Oh, and no. so I thought, there's a skill to be learned here. I need to uh, apply myself. And I thought, who would who would have thought about this? Richard. Richard and Jen will have thought about this. So I thought I'd pick your brains, Richard. That is true. Do you know what's funny? I had not even eaten a mango before I uh, met Jen. Uh, what? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> This is, you know, back growing up in the 80s, a mango was a very exotic fruit, not particularly available, particularly out in the suburbs in, New- in Sydney. And my parents were not, um, yeah, didn't have a big fruit budget. And so uh, the first time I had a mango was when I was dating Jen and went and visited her at her parents and was sort of presented with this mango. And I just had no idea what to do with it. It was like one of those <laughs> classic dating moments where, you're in this new situation and you don't know what to do. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So we'll really be asking Jen, who has grown up eating mango, yeah. what she how to pick a mango. Well, what have you learned since, you know, what, tw- has it been 20, 20 years of marriage? Oh, 25, yeah. 25. Like um, so, uh, yeah, I'll tell you what I know. There are different species or, or breeds of uh, strains of mango, um, Jen, family prefers the Kensington. Uh, I do prefer the Kensington. I do think they are a more solid pick. Yeah, real mango enthusiasts buy them by the tray. So that's that's how Jen's parents do it. Even though there's just the two of them at home now, they they will still buy according (laughs) to the tray. Um, And uh, you're looking for big, fat mangoes. That's the desirable ones. And... um, uh, well, they would generally, these ones would have a smooth shape, consistent, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, what about colour? Because I have been fooled. That's how I got fooled. I went for a beautiful pinky, orangey, yellow skin, but I've had more success lately with the, the slightly green tinge. Yeah. been riper. Colour I've never paid much attention to. I think it's uh, texture. You want them to be reasonably firm when you buy them. And, yeah, um, yeah. And the uh, the smell will tell you when they're – texture and the smell will tell you when you're ripe. So when you get them home, do you put them in the fridge or do you leave them on the bench? I uh, generally inspect each one. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's like a little triage um, yeah. system happens. Yes. And uh, those – mostly they'll stay on the bench, uh, some yeah, out of the sun. Um, uh-huh. Some might – some which are deemed ripe would go to the fridge. Right. And would you do the whole stick them next to a banana thing to make them really ripe yeah, up fast or do you not do that? That's a rumour. That's a myth. I don't know if that's really true. I think if we were sort of counting on a ripe mango for a pavlova the next day or something, we might do it. But um, I can't guarantee to our listeners that that's <laughs> the island. Is, do, you have, do you have an opinion on the mango ripening technique, the banana technique? Well, I think, thing, I think it's all in the choosing because, you know, it's just like stone fruit. I have had a battle with stone fruit for years where I purchase a stone fruit because I want to eat that stone fruit when I get into my car. Yeah. But I've realized I should only ever purchase stone fruit 
for the week later when it's fully ripened and it's soft and juicy and delicious. And so I think for mango, I do the opposite where I'm like, okay, I think I'm going to want this tomorrow. <laughs> like I don't ever really want to eat the mango right at the moment. But sometimes it's it's about being ready to have it in like three days. I think that's my expectation now. Three days and that mango is going to be good. Yeah. Because that's generally, I think, what happens with supermarkets. They're ready to go in a few days, whereas stone fruit's like a week and bananas, it was yesterday and they're ripe. But, yeah. You know, they're overripe tomorrow. <laughs> that's uh, so, all the wisdom I have, Joe. Mm, I wish you the best for okay. Thank you. I mean, you've just affirmed my Kensington preference and that's all I really wanted because I see big juicy, what are they called, R2s or whatever it is? Is that yeah. what they're called? I don't know. Jen does like most of the mango shopping. Yeah. Yeah, they're basically a baseball and they're huge. <laughs> and I look at them and I think that's a, big, that's a big bang for your buck moment. You know, you're getting a big piece of fruit there. That's it. But I've never been able to leave my Kensington prides. <laughs> Anyway, onto more important things. What have you been? Oh, well, I'm looking into memory at the moment. I'm sure I thought I'd share with you and our listeners that um, a friend of mine had been talking up this thing called Memory Craft, a book about and and like a memory palace. Have you come across any of this sort of thing? Ah, yeah. Is this what Sherlock Holmes uses? Holmes uses? Oh, I don't know. He hasn't come up. Oh, maybe um, I'm. So the story is that there is techniques for getting good at memory. Uh, and there's this lady, Lynn yeah. Kelly, who's written a book called Memory Craft, where she's collated the memory techniques and uh, has talked about her experience of using them and becoming a national memory champion. Now, did you know these things existed, the memory champions? Well, I didn't know that. <laughs> They're called memory athletes. Right. Um, no, I didn't. And what they'll do is you'll – in these competitions. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, just take a moment to let that sink in. And in these uh, competitions, they'll be getting yeah, just a memory athlete. <laughs> yeah. So they'll get uh, three or four packs of shuffle Sorry. cards in this competition and they'll be given 10 minutes or 20 minutes and then they'll remember the order uh, of all four shuffled decks of cards or something like that. Um, or they'll be given a random oh. series of numbers and be able to remember 500, 600 within a short space of time. Um, now, that skill doesn't interest Whoa. me very much, but um, this what I would like to remember is be much better at people's names, and I would like to remember the kings of the Old, uh, the mm. old Testament, Northern and Southern Kingdom, Kingdom, and even their dates of rule, if that would be possible. Oh, yes. Yes, uh, which is the sort of thing she she can. Oh, that'd do. be pretty good. Yeah, she does that with um with other figures, and so part of one of the techniques is something called the memory palace, and um, this is where you think of a familiar environment, and you allocate in your mind uh, different locations in each part of this. Um, uh-huh. It could be your home or your family's where you grew up or the local street or something. But a common name is memory palace, and then. Part of the memory technique is placing the thing you're trying to remember in different locations in this palace and linking them together in some mm. sort of imagery. So my, my friend who shared this with me mm. said that he has created his memory palace. I haven't seen him since then. I'm curious to find out how that's going. Um, but uh, thinking possibly mm. as a summer holiday project, building my memory palace and seeing what I can remember. 
<laughs> that is very interesting. The, even just the idea that you would build a memory palace. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. The language is quite, yeah, it's active for something that you'd think is not particularly active. But I can, I can, if you can remember the kings of Israel and Judah, that would be amazing. I, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm promising at this It'll point. Be, you like, can. <laughs> fully amazing. Yes. So that's, uh, that's kind of what's on <laughs> well, my mind. Well, the way I tried to remember them, yeah. the way I've tried to remember the kings of Israel and Judah is that there's this guy on YouTube called the Greekinator. Oh, really? <laughs> and he has songs. Really? Yeah, he has songs for them. And so for a period I could tell you, you know, Nadab next, then, you know, all the different, like I, there was uh, these all these phrases in my head Um that I can remember certain orders of certain kings of certain parts of Israel and Judah, but I can't remember them all oh, anymore. That's cool. Um, yes. Yeah. So I've I've tried to remember by song, but songs are definitely not been one hundred percent successful this, at all in this book. Yeah. Yeah. Which I got from the local library. Yeah. Right. I feel like I should okay. mention. Shout out to local libraries. Hmm. <laughs> um, oh, cool. who doesn't love a good local library? The Greekinator. All right. Hmm. I'll have to put a link to that in our uh, show notes. Um, but yeah, uh, there are some theological positions there that I, I don't agree with. Okay. Him, so I'm like, yeah, <laughs> not a but, blanket um, endorsement. But he's got some good songs. <laughs> Fantastic. What have you been reading, Richard, in the Bible? I have been reading one Thessalonians, and uh, thought I'd love to share mm. just um, first two and three. I got a lot out of these verses this week. Uh, one Thessalonians chapter one, verse two and three. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, Joe, these are fantastic verses, but quite yeah familiar to um, to, mm. to us who have often been reading things, similar introduction. But I think uh, in my regular Bible time today, those verses just really struck me, I think, at this time of the year and at the end of a COVID year. Um which has been pretty hard. So I, I'm thinking partly of myself and partly of oh, the people who are in ministry with us here at church, um, those mm. things there mm. of, like, we've done a lot of work. We've done a lot of labor. We've done a lot of endurance this year uh, with COVID. And mm. Mm. Yeah, for you and me, uh, the, the workload in our calendar doesn't really um, disappear in the back end of the year. There's, there's plenty to do. Um, but, um, yeah, just that it is produced by faith. You know, faith in God, trust in God um, spurs us on. Um, love for people spurs us on. Uh, we have a hope in our Lord Jesus Christ that spurs us on. And I, I think that's the case mm. with people who are in ministry with us here at church and, yeah, among our teams, among our friends. Mm. Um, I just found that, uh, that spiritual perspective very encouraging. Hmm. That is encouraging. It's interesting um, just in verse 3 where it says your labor prompted by love. Is that love, you just said love for fellow man or however you described it. Mm. Could it be love for God or do you think, because I I don't know, it makes oh. sense if it's love for others. Yeah. But I also love for God. Could mm. easily be that, yeah. I think in, that, in an ESV translation or some, mm. something more straightforward, it's just a simple work of faith, labor of love, endurance of hope. Um, yeah, it's a very simple linkage. Mm. So um, that's quite possible that, um, yeah, love for God 
is um, is uh, the driving force of labour as well. Mm. It helps keep the hand to the plough, doesn't it? When you when your eyes are lifted to why we work, yeah, and because um, sometimes it can it can just be either just continuing on and doing what we've always done, or dropping your bundle and saying <laughs> I've had enough. Yeah, <laughs> that's is, uh, right. More my style if I was going to have a reaction. <laughs> so yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, I was mm. thankful. Just you know, came across in regular Bible reading. Yeah, took that over today. Um, oh. And for you, Joe, what uh, are you reading, thinking about? What are you uh, looking into? Well, in the last two weeks, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about welcoming children. Mm-hmm. I um, there was an event run by an organisation called ARK A R K. I, I think it's Australians Rescuing Kids or something like that. And it's a organisation that's been established to promote foster care in Australia, oh, right. um, particularly. I think it's about Christians um, fostering children in Australia, mm-hmm. and it got me thinking. And another situation I've been engaging with has got me thinking about: okay, well, when a child um, is born and is not able to stay with its parents for whatever reason, how does the Christian community respond? with welcoming that yeah. child. Yeah. And um, that caused me to go back to a book I read a little while ago but just wanted to refresh myself on what the book said. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'd talk about that book now. Yeah, um, It's called um, Abortion. It's within the Talking Points series by Vaughan Roberts. Mm-hmm. And so Abortion written by Dr. Lizzie Ling and Vaughan Roberts. And it's, it's a very short book. Um, we've both read it and we referenced it at an event we recently spoke at, it's under 100 pages, a half-size book, and it really does, it's meant to serve as a summary of the key ideas and principles for Christians around the idea of abortion. Yeah. And I think what the book has helped me, what I found helpful in going back to it um, in the last week um, is that I think it covers a lot of ground about how do we have a, what are our mindsets as we engage on the idea of a child that has been conceived but is not wanted or is um, coming into the world in complex circumstances? Mm. And um, it's got these two stories that I want to share. I, I think it's definitely worth a read. I think there are, um, I would recommend it to anyone who would like to consider the question more of abortion. But it's got these two stories that I, I wanted to return to, actually, because I found them very helpful. The first is of a lady called Beth, and she speaks of how she fell pregnant at 19 and how both of her parents, she knew um, because of her sister's experience of having a baby um, out of wedlock, mm. both her parents rejected her do- her sister and the baby. And so she knew in being pregnant at 19 and unmarried that her parents would reject her. And she chose to have an abortion and she speaks in this in this recount of being 49 and thinking of the baby and thinking now um, with regret and shame but having hope. And I'll just remember, I'll read what she says. Yeah. When I'm reminded of what I've done and, and it was at the end of the day my decision, I remember that Jesus has died for me. He loves me despite what I've done. I'm completely forgiven and for that I'm very, very grateful. One day I'll meet him face to face. I'm also filled with hope that I might meet my child because I know that God loved him or her even though I chose not to. Mm. 
Um, and there's a lot of complexity there in that story and, and it's quite a short little anecdote. Mm. But what I, what I think about as I read that story and another story, which is the story of a, bo- a young child who was adopted um, mm-hmm. out after his mother conceived him from rape, which was it's Joe's story. You wow. read it and he talks about being thankful that she gave birth to him and, um, and that he was adopted by loving parents. And it, it, I think it's just this book really, it's very practical and principle-based, but also makes me think of the children that are, that are born in difficult circumstances or are not born and that being a, a grievous wrong. And so I've just been trying to wrestle with being welcoming to children and having kind of a radical approach to, to seeing God's gift of life. And anyway, it, you can hear, it's just, I've just been thinking. Yeah. Um, it's not very formed thoughts, yeah. um, but just thought I'd share that. Yeah. That's something I've been wrestling with. No, thank mm. you, Joe. Yeah, I've always valued the um, thought and um, concern you've put into this topic. It, you've been an encouragement to me. And mm. Um, mm. yeah, I think it's great to see resources like that little book coming out, um, which are yes. biblical, uh, sensitive. Um, illumined yes. by real life stories. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think this is a topic that um, Christian men, Christian women, can can be well informed in. Um, yeah. Yes, and and though I speak of the heavy heavy stories in the book, it's actually very readable. I think mm. it's not it's not the kind of book you need to brace to read. I think it is hard to read, but it's not um, overwhelming. And yeah. I think it's very. I would encourage anyone to have a have a read of it, just because I think it made me pray and think differently, and I've come back to it because it was good. And so, yeah, yeah. Anyway, more thought. Uh, good on you, Joe. All right, I think we're out of time, but it's we're been very much out of time. Great talking <laughs> with you. Yes, and we will talk one more time before Christmas yeah, next look, week. Look forward to it. See you, Joe. Sounds good. See ya. Bye.